This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air. Nothing can replace the pleasure of turning the pages of the printed book. Join us now as we explore our city's rich literary heritage, talking with people who are passionate about the printed word and celebrating the Dunedin Athenaeum and Mechanics Institute's fascinating local history. Welcome to Wireless Books. Welcome everyone and welcome Christine to another, well still sort of the new year yeah, edition of yeah, Wireless Books. Well, yes, only only 11 more months to go. <laughs> well I tell you what, I've started my lay-by for this Christmas already. It's very sensible of you with this cost of living crisis. Oh yes, and the brood is someone very... <laughs> Very rudely called them. Oh, you got a big brood. I thought, well, well no, brood. That's okay. Means you're what the queen bee. Mm, mm. No, you've just been silly. Oh, that looks an interesting book. Okay, um, have we told anybody who we are? <laughs> oh, yes. We're from Wireless Books. Oh, we are Wireless Books from the Athenaeum and Mechanics Institute. (laughs) These mysterious voices. But we are a private library. You can belong to the public library as well, and there's no better time to join the Athenaeum. You take it from here, Christine. Sell it, sister. Sell it. Well, our doors are open next Monday, the 30th, and... For a mere $69, which includes the GST, which goes straight to the government, you can have as many, well, not as many books, three books at a time from our groaning shelves. And we're going to start with some of the new books that will possibly be on the shelves to greet you if you come in on Monday. And the first one is called The Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo. And it's by an author called Taylor Jenkins Reid. She's a young woman and she, oh, she's written at least four other books. So she's been going for a little while. And this is, um, what do they call it? The Glam of Old Hollywood. Old Hollywood starts in the 1960s. So yeah, she's a young what? lady. Yes. I thought I thought the glamour of Hollywood was sort of 1920s. Well, the silent... Well, mm. I thought it was sort of, the thir- actually, when I think of glamour of old Hollywood, I guess I'm thinking of the 30s. Yeah. Well, from the 30s, anyway. Well, that's the from thing. From the it's 60s, that's recent history. <laughs> Not if you're in your 30s. <laughs> <laughs> so, anyway, she's in- invented this um, a reclusive Hollywood icon, Evelyn Hugo, and the she's had... As the title says, seven husbands. So of course, she's she's had a she had a very successful career. She's been nominated and even won an Oscar. And she retired in the eighties, basically, and become a bit of a recluse. And so she's a, you know, people become like the punchline of a joke. So she's the woman who oh, had I seven do. husbands. Oh, that that sort of thing. And so anyway, she's she reaches out to a young journalist who no one really knows and offers her an exclusive article when she's prepared she's wanting to talk about her life because she's she's putting up some of her iconic dresses for sale and um, to raise money for breast cancer because her only child died of breast cancer so yes it's quite sad now the journalist doesn't really know why she was picked no one knows why she picked this, this young woman but apparently this, what's the name of the girl? Um, 
I bet it's her daughter who she adopted out. No, no, but there is a connection. Anyway, I can't see what what the name of the journalist was. But she... I'll have a look. She... (laughs) We're having a bit of a bun fight here. (laughs) I'll look. I can find the name of the journalist. It doesn't matter. (laughs) Well, why did you bring it up? (laughs) Let's call her Miss X. (laughs) The young lady actually has... As a, a journalist who had written a very well-crafted article for something, um, an online magazine that she was writing for about um, assisted deaths. And it was it caused a bit of a stir and she was offered a role at a magazine, which is a very prestigious magazine and is edited by a woman that is, uh, she admires greatly. So she, she has this big career break that she's been picked for this magazine but she gets there and they just put her on the fluff pieces and kind of ignore mm. her and don't do anything with her so she's she's kind of languishing there and normally she probably would do a bit more to try and um, break out but she's going through a bad patch personally because she just she's been married less than a year and her husband's left her so oh, she cared yes yeah, so things are not looking great and then she gets this out of the blue offer to go mm. and interview this Hollywood star. Now, she's not really interested in entertainment and stuff. She knows she knows that Evelyn had seven husbands, and that's about it. But anyway, she decides, well, this is my chance. I'm going to take it. So she goes away for the weekend before the interview and reads everything she can find about it. And most of it is pretty um, gossip column stuff. Mm. So anyway, she gets there, and Evelyn starts to recount her life. And s- Soon it turns out that's more than an article, Evelyn. Evelyn wants her to write her biography. And so this is an amazing offer. And um, But she's got to, you know, she'll have to leave her job at the magazine and is it worth the... So it's just that thing. So you're having the recount of Evelyn's life and all the ins and outs of it and um, what's really behind all this, this constant <laughs> marrying husbands left, right and centre as well as um, what's... What's the connection with the journalist and will the journalist take the leap of faith? And um, this is a book that comes highly recommended and I think people will enjoy it. And I've just noticed that another book that Taylor Jenkins Reid wrote was called Daisy Jones and the Six. So she must have a bit of an obsession with numbers in her titles. Sometimes um, writers oh, get yes, a quirk. They do, don't they? Yeah. yeah, they sort yeah. of get a little quirk and they just run with it. I guess it makes it easier to remember that your titles if you do something oh, like it's that. catchy as well. Yeah. Now, I have the latest Paul Cleave, the Christchurch writer who um, writes very exciting murder mysteries. And this is a story, it's actually a very, it starts off very sadly there's a family um, uh, husband and wife and, and two children, a boy and a girl and the, the child is is a very light sleeper and so he wakes up one night and this argument downstairs and he sneaks out out of his room and looks down and he this he calls them monsters there there are monsters downstairs threatening his parents and he realizes that um that him and his sister need to get out so he goes back and he wakes his sister up and and gets her to 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 jump out the window and he's about to follow but 
the people, the intruders, realise that there's more, and they they come and catch him, and then um, it all all goes very badly wrong. The intruders are wanting something from the from the parents, but they say, and the parents say, "You've got the wrong house," oh, no. <laughs> and the, but of course the the monsters yeah, refuse yeah, to believe yeah. that, and in the end, um, they shoot everybody. Oh. But this little boy, he's about nine. He survives, but he's shot in the back of the head, so it's very. Very touch and go, and he's in a coma for a good ten years, and so we and so so he's in this coma, and then one day he can't, he starts to come out of it, and but of course he can't really tell the police what you know what happened, but he's sort of been living a parallel life and while he's in the coma, I mean. Paul Cleave sort of likes to do these kind of sort of semi-mystical type things. And so, but this is a, it's a pretty exciting book. People are, are killing people left, right and centre. And, um, yeah, if you like Paul Cleave, this is, you know, you're going to be pretty, uh, pretty happy. And on the front of the staple line is, Paul Cleave is an automatic must-read for me, Lee, Lee Child. Child. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so... Um, so, yeah, I think Paul Cleave is um, a bigger deal than we realise. I mean, I always knew that he was very big in Germany, but I think he is making a name for himself outside of Germany. What other books has he written? Has it got in the... Oh, yeah, he's side? written heaps. Um, he wrote... The the last book he had was The Quiet People. Um, so The Cleaner, The Killing Hour, Cemetery Lake, Blood Men, Collecting Cooper... The Laughter House, Joe Victim, Five Minutes Alone, Trust No One, A Killer Harvest, Whatever It Takes, The Quiet People. I think you must Whoa. have read... I have. I've read a couple of those. Yeah. 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 It's really good. Yeah, yeah he really is. Really riveting. Yeah. Yeah. He, I know he's very good. He's a bit too, he's a bit too scary for me, but um, that's, that's me. <laughs> High praise indeed. Well, exactly. If I if I say someone, it's oh, he's a bit too creepy for me. People go, oh yes, I'll have that. Thanks. <laughs> now I have the latest um, David Baldacci, um, Amos Decker movie. Um, A movie. movie. Yeah, I know what <laughs> you might know. <laughs> and it's called Long Shadows, and it starts off with um, Decker's. An old partner of his commits suicide, and so he's sort of um, in a he's sort of in a sad, rheumative state of mind. His his most recent part partner has married and, and moved away, and so he's he's not doesn't really have a partner. And so, and then he, this his old old partner commits suicide, and so he goes to the funeral. And when he comes back, he's called in and assigned a new partner, um, White, who is. Um, a, She's about in her early 30s um, with two young children and her mother looks after the kids. And she's a very good agent, but she's also black and she's sort of, yeah, things are hard for her. So anyway, that she gets teamed up with Decker, and of course Decker's not very happy about it. But um, they, st- and then they're called away on a case immediately, and it's a case of a federal judge who is killed in her um, home in a gated community and with her security guard. So why why did she feel the need to pay for security? And the, there's just a whole lot that doesn't really add up about this. And you know, she, supposedly she had no enemies, but you know, there's no she force. She had a security guard. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Just It just seems weird. And the, 
the neighbours heard nothing, and um, yeah, and her she has an ex-husband, but he's got a strong alibi. So there you go. So they're on this on this crime, and it um, has has long shadows and um, comes goes deeper than it looks mm. on the surface. Yep, David Bildacci, another really great writer. Yeah. Good page turner, excellent for your relaxing summer holidays. Yes, I, I've read the start of it and it does have a very good start. And yes, yeah, so I think that's another one that's going to be popular. Or oh, actually, it won't be long coming up to Easter holidays. Oh, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> now, this is a book by a new writer, Al T. Shearer. I don't even know if they're male or female, because it's just like I am. And it's called The Cat Who Caught a Killer. And it, its strap line is charming and original. This book is The Cat's Whiskers by Anthony Hor- Horowitz. So oh, if Anthony says it's good, it's good. That's sort of what I said. So I picked it up and I read a, f- a, you know, a page or so in the bookshop. And I thought, oh, yeah, this is good. And also there was a book series called The Cat Who, and it's about a, a, a man who had a Siamese cat, and they were always solving murders together. I can't remember the name of the oh. author. But there was a big series that was sort of about in the 60s, and one of our, our members has been reading through them all. Now, um, I think the first one was The, the Cat Who Ate, Ate Danish or something like oh. that. Yeah, so there was a very – I don't. I should remember the author, but um, – It will come to me in a moment. Uh, yes, no doubt. So anyway, I thought, oh, okay, well, if people like those books back then, maybe they'll like a new book about a cat who solves crime. And so Conrad is oh, like... sorry, no. was it Lillian Jackson Braun? That's the one, yes. Yeah, she, she, gosh, she wrote, I'd say, about 20 or so. And, uh, yeah, I've never really got it, but there you go. But people liked them, and this... I have read this and it is very charming, although it has a kind of a ridiculous premise. So it, st- <laughs> it starts off, well, you know, okay. This from the woman who loves the magic books of, of you know, what they call Magic London, you know, Ben Aronovich. Yeah. yeah, Rivers of London. Well, I might as well tell you because <laughs> it's pretty, comes up pretty quickly. Conrad actually talks. <laughs> <laughs> But he he doesn't talk to everybody. And so we start off with a woman, Lulu, who is a retired um, police detective in London. And about six months ago, her husband was killed in a hit-and-run accident. Mm. She's she's devastated. Now, her husband and her lived with her mother-in-law, and they got on very well. They had a beautiful, large house. But she can't sort of bear to live in the house anymore. Mm. And her mother-in-law has actually been moved into a home because she has dementia. Now, her, she's got perfect, she's perfectly healthy, but she has dementia and she needs extra help. So Lulu brought a riverboat and she lives on a riverboat, on oh, one, a canal boat. Oh. Yes, and so she, and she goes and visits her mother-in-law most days. So one day she wakes up and she's, she's at her sink looking out and she sees this cat walking along and it's a beautiful male calico cat and she just thinks oh that's a beautiful cat and the cat jumps on the boat and comes up and starts to talk to her because apparently the cat can read auras so it can see that Lulu has an interesting aura and we, he, he's taken a fancy to her Now I would be worried oh, so your mother-in-law mm. sadly has dementia is in a home, and all of a sudden a 
cat is talking to you. I think that would be, I'm perfectly prepared to believe that the world is magical and that's a book, but the world is mm. magical and animals can talk to you. But you would think you're going mad. Like you wouldn't, you well, wouldn't think. Lulu, how would you prove to yourself? Lulu keeps thinking I must be dreaming. Mm. and But Conrad... He he's such a smart cat, and he keeps sort of saying, "Well, how can you be dreaming?" And he he sort of talks her around, and she just but she kind of just goes along with it because she sort of part of it. She just doesn't think it's real, and so she goes off and visits her mother-in-law with Con- Conrad. Actually, likes to put himself around people's shoulders, so he he wraps himself around her shoulders like a scarf, and they wander off into the streets of London and visit. her her mother-in-law, and then they go back, they go off and they have um, they have a meal together and Lulu um, gets a bit oh, drunk and she goes home and she wakes up the next morning and she thinks, oh, well, that was that was a fascinating dream and, <laughs> you know, that was amusing. But there's Conrad and he's still talking to her. And then um, she finds, it turns out that her mother-in-law has, has died overnight and she can't work. How, how could she have died? Because she was in perfect health the night before when she saw her and of course Lulu's an ex-detective and so she starts asking all these awkward questions uh, for example she goes to the home and she demands to, to talk to the doctor because she, she does all these things that I think most people wouldn't but she's just um, she's just that's the way she's programmed for example later on in the book she um, she basically interrogates her brother-in-law who was in Spain at the time but has come back and yeah, she just so in lots of ways. I I found the book implausible, but it it was very charming. And um, as Anthony said, it, it is the cat's whiskers. And yes, the cat does catch the killer, so uh, it does what it says on the box. <laughs> and the next one is called Bad Actors, and it's by Mick Heron. And this. We don't have any other other books, but this is the uh, about book seven of him. He writes about a sp- spies in London, and there's um, what do they call themselves? Yes, yeah, Slough House is the home for demoted and embittered spies. <laughs> for demoted and embittered spies. Yes, I like it. But they they still manage to come out on you know they keep um, saving the day in the end even though that is supposed to be a useless shower, and this has actually been turned into a television series and the um, head of Slough House is a guy called Lamb and he's played by Gary Oldman in the television series, which um, people are loving, and so the last. Last month, I had two people within the space of a day asking me if I had any McHeron books, and I said, mm. "No, no, I've never heard of them." And you know, when the second one asked, I thought, "No, I don't." Be, but I, I better a bit get of a some. Pattern here. <laughs> yes, I've never heard of it. I've never heard of that show. Yes, well, it's just new out, and um, there was an article about it in the Otago Daily Times about a month ago. So that's how I know about Gary Orman mm. being in it. So anyway. Um, We've got a quote from Val McDermott saying he is the John Le Carrier of our generation. High praise indeed. So we start with a key member of a Dowling Street think tank has disappeared without trace and Claude Wheeling is tasked with tracking her down. But the trail leads straight back to Regent's Park HQ itself and the chief of um, MI5, Diana Traventer, is the prime suspect. Um. 
Meanwhile, her Russian counterpart has unexpectedly shown up in London, but has slipped under MI5's radar, which is very poor spycraft from them. And so um, Slough House is brought in. So in a world where lying, cheating and backstabbing are the norm, bad actors are bending the rules for their own gain. So, yeah, this is, uh, I think I'm going to end up buying a lot more of his other books. But anyway, that's the one we're starting with. And it's got, I think that that's um, I think fascinating it, because just reading reviews, how the author of Slow Horses and Bad Actors became the foremost living spy novelist in the English language is the heading of this article. Wow. But to continue reading, I have to subscribe for 12 weeks. <laughs> oh, well, don't worry. Just, just take the book out. Now, I've got the latest um, in this new um, series by Philippa Gregory. It's the third book, and it's Dawn Lands. So it was started with um, Tide Lands, I think, was the name of the first book. And so we sort of started from... She's. I think she's really investigating the, the Stuart... Um, Rain, so, um, yeah, she just she's such a historian. Uh, so, Tidelands was the first one, and the next one was Dark Tides. And so, we've we've got up to Charles II has is about to die, and his brother James II is about to inherit the throne. And of course, it's all a bit um, of a problem because James is very um, out and out as a Catholic and he's married a very Catholic woman and that's fine as long as he doesn't have children but of course he's trying his his darndest (laughs) to have children so yeah and so this is we've been following this family from the time of the um, protectorate essentially and through the ups and downs of um, you know one minute um, you're in the Commonwealth and the next minute you're asking the king to come back and and it's sort of strangely enough I've got another book Robert Harris Act of Oblivion and that's the story of when Charles II came back he was quite lenient in a lot of ways even though his mother Henrietta was was calling for vengeance, um, and they passed the Parliament passed an act called the Act of Oblivion, where they basically let most people off, and they decided that they were only going to punish about twenty people who were named in the act, and they were the people who were called the reg- regicides, who were had signed um, Charles, sorry, um, yeah, Charles I's death warrant, or had been. Like the magistrate who'd, who'd held the the trial, which and where he was condemned to, to death, and and other various people, and Robert Harris has taken two of the people that that have been named, um, Edward Whaley and his son-in-law William Goff, and they escape to America, and so they they've gone to America, and first of all they are greeted um, they greeted and treated well. And there's all this time lag of, of news crossing the Atlantic to say that people so what's happening in England takes a long time, a lag time to mm. get to America. And uh, this Robert Harris says this is all true essentially. He's he's invented very, very little of it. And there's actually a bit of they actually escape and there's a mystery about even when they died and as such. So you yeah, so there's sort of a lot of Scott 
Stuart stuff in these both of these books. Anyway, going back to the Philippa Gregory, she's created these figures who then interact with the the real people. So she has one of her characters um, actually is a good friend of um, James II's wife. And so she she goes to court and um, manages to get grants of land and such and so brings the whole family up, but she's playing a dangerous game. And, of course, um, you know about the, the baby in the bedpan story? Oh, dear. Do you know any history at all? James, well, like I said, James II and his wife are desperate to have a child and they... And Eventually, they did have a. They had a boy. Now he'd been married before, and he had two daughters. And so, but a boy always trumps daughters. And so, this child who was going to be brought up as a Catholic trumped the Protestant princesses. And so, the Parliament rebelled, and there was the glorious rebellion. And if and they threw James and his wife out, and they went to the continent. And that baby grew up to be the old pretender and his son or his grandson was Bonnie Prince Charlie. No. Yes. And anyway, Philippa Gregory um, really puts the baby in the bedpan and um, fleshes it out. I thought you actually meant literally a baby in a bedpan. Yep. Even though... well, people claim that... I'll that, read the book. I'll catch up. Yes, people claim that that's ridiculous and it was just um, Protestant propaganda, but um, Philippa takes another tack. She is such a good writer. She is. And a great historian. I mean... And she also... So um, good. Because... The people in the story are merchants. They're sending, uh, they're going out to the colonies and interacting with the Indians. Mm. And so there's a lot about the Indians' uh, tribe in this as well. And at the end, she thanks the Indian tribe that she's talking about and um, makes clear that she's researched um, their ancestors and has tried her best to give them Mm. uh, a true betrayal. So, yeah. Well, well done, Christine. They're fabulous books, and I'll tell you what, you finish right on time. Jeff will be pleased to be able to go home. He's parched. I can see him. He's putting his bicycle helmet on. Anyway, until next time, everyone. <laughs> Happy reading. Oh, yes. The Dunedin Athenaeum and Mechanics Institute welcomes new members. Enjoy the Athenaeum's quiet, warmly carpeted library and reading room and share in the joy of books new and old. Visit www.dunedinathenaeum.org.nz for more information or pop into the Athenaeum Library at number 24, The Octagon. The Dunedin Athenaeum and Mechanics Institute, celebrating Dunedin's rich literary heritage since 1851. This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air.